I'm David Byrne and I'm with Anthony Chalmers who's a Chair of Clinical Oncology at the University of Glasgow and um, Anthony's just given us a wonderful talk this morning about gliomas from biology to bedside. Anthony it was a wonderful talk, really enjoyed it and everybody I've spoken to has obviously enjoyed what you had to say. For the people who weren't here and particularly the jobbing clinicians out there, what would you sort of like to try and encapsulate as to say the two or three key messages from your, your lecture this morning? Um, that's quite a difficult question to answer. First point is that although glioblastoma is a very challenging tumour to treat, there have been improvements in outcome and the main reasons for that have been better neurosurgery, so more complete debulking of tumours uh, leads to improved outcomes. Um, the other is that radiotherapy is the cornerstone of non-surgical treatment for these patients. We currently use radiotherapy with temozolomide chemotherapy and we know that a minority of patients will actually derive a lot of benefit from that and we are getting some five-year survivors and beyond with that treatment but that there is huge scope to improve that treatment. The third point is that we are giving radiotherapy at close to the limit of what can be safely delivered to the normal brain. So if we're going to improve outcomes, we have to have new treatments that increase the effectiveness of radiotherapy against the tumor, but don't increase its effects on the normal brain. And what I spoke about in my talk was some strategies for trying to do that. Fantastic. That's a brilliant summary. I was just wondering, and the thing that I was particularly interested in was your reference to the epidemiology of the gliomas. I mean, obviously the population is ageing, but there have been a lot of scares in the news, for example, about mobile phone usage and the like. Have there been any sort of general changes in trend in epidemiology overall? So overall, I would say no. The incidence seems to be fairly stable, except in elderly population so over the last 20 years there's been quite a marked increase in the number of cases in patients aged over 70 and also aged over 80 uh, which can be partly attributed to more more investigation of those patients but whatever the cause we have more elderly patients with glioblastoma uh, and they're a particularly difficult population to treat partly because the tumours seem to be more aggressive biologically uh, and we don't understand why and also partly because those patients don't tolerate very aggressive treatments so well. Thank you. I mean the, the case you showed which was really tragic of that lady with a relatively peripheral, this is now from all my memory of your slides, but um, that relatively peripheral glioblastoma who'd had a fairly successful debulking but then had been given I think a 60 gray of radiotherapy and ended up with dementia two years later. I know you mentioned or past comment that there were no obvious predictors at this point that you were aware of that would have predicted such a dreadful outcome or occurrence but in general are there biological features or factors that would make you tailor radiotherapy dose in some of these patients a little bit lower for example than the maximum? So we use the maximum dose wherever possible and really age remains the most important uh, 
prognostic and predictive factor for toxicity. So over 70, I think most people would accept that we shouldn't be giving 60 grey. And there's an emerging consensus that we can give 40 grey over three weeks and actually get better outcomes in the older patients than if we try to give them the, the six-week treatment. For patients between 60 and 70, it's more controversial. And there, really quite simple measures such as performance status can be quite helpful. Still rather crude, and we and other people are trying to look at other factors and better tools for assessing risk of toxicity uh, to help us select patients better. Thank you. Just moving on to the probably the, the final part, the, the, the future therapies that you referred to, I'm aware of the PARP inhibitors because I'm from Newcastle and I know that they have the, quite a tradition of, of developing the drug there as well, or that class of drug. Just in, in very, very simple terms, can you just quickly rehearse with us again the mode of action that the PARP inhibitor is thought to potentially help through? So the key point is that radiotherapy kills cells by damaging DNA and specifically it's um, unrepaired double-stranded breaks in the DNA that have the potential to kill cells. Radiotherapy also induces a lot of single-stranded breaks in DNA and normally they get repaired very efficiently by the base excision repair pathway. So PARP inhibitors will reduce the effectiveness of the base excision repair pathway so the single-stranded breaks in DNA will hang around for longer. Now in the tumour cells which are rapidly proliferating there's an, a chance or quite a high chance that cells with unrepaired single-strand breaks will try to replicate their chromosomes before they've repaired that damage and PARP inhibitors will increase the likelihood of single-strand breaks getting converted into double-strand breaks and thus killing the cells in those rapidly proliferating tumour cells. The important point here is that in the brain, the vast majority of cells of the normal brain are not replicating. And we believe that the PARP inhibitors will actually have minimal impact on the response of the normal brain cells to radiotherapy because those single-stranded breaks will not get converted into double-strand breaks and therefore won't kill the cells. So to summarize, we, our hypothesis is that PARP inhibitors will increase the, sensitive, the sensitivity of glioblastoma cells to radiotherapy but will not affect the response of the normal brain to radiotherapy. So we think, we hope, we'll be able to improve tumor control without increasing normal brain toxicity. That's uh, really well put, and that was incredibly <laughs> succinct. I mean, and, and I'm sure that people will really get that explanation. That's fantastic. And I mean, just the very final question from me is that looking at your slide, you obviously talked a lot about the trials currently going on with the PARP inhibitors, but there were one or two other agents mentioned on there, which I think from recollection also work in a similar sort of mechanism. I mean, do you feel a general sense of optimism that for our patients out there that we might start seeing some additive therapies coming on, say in the under 70s with temozolomide in the future? Is this going to be foreseeable in the next few years, do you think? So, 
the, uh, the general area of the DNA damage response, we understand it quite well and we've got a whole range of different drugs that inhibit different proteins in that pathway. Of those drugs, the PARP inhibitors are the most developed but are also have relatively modest effects on radiosensitivity. I think it will be incredibly encouraging if we see an improvement in tumour control with PARP inhibitors. But if we don't, I think it will be quite re worthwhile to test some of the more potently radiosensitizing drugs that we have uh, in our pharmacy. I have to sort of accompany that statement with an acknowledgement that glioblastoma has proved very challenging and really none of the new molecular targeted drugs that have been tested so far have given us any significant improvements in outcome. But this is a whole new approach and I hope, I think we've got reasonable grounds to, to be optimistic that there'll be some success. Fantastic. Well, Anthony, thank you so much. I think you really did honour the title. I know you, you amended the title ever so slightly for your lecture, but I mean, you truly have given us a great demonstration of how the biology can hopefully inform the treatment we give at the bedside. Thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.